Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to another episode of the LNO Fireside Chats. Um, your host for today, uh, Philip Berry from the Tesseract team. And with me today, I have uh, Dr. Ethan Eagle from Project Mercury. So, Dr. Eagle, if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about Project Mercury, I'd, I'd appreciate that. Um, hey, Phil. And it uh, looks like Dan's also just signing in. Uh, and for the purposes of this call, please just call me Ethan. Um, so yeah, Project Mercury is a uh, is an Air Force program that is contracted out through the Innovatrium, and we do uh, culture, competency, and community development for innovators in the Air Force. We run a 12-week education program. We also have uh, base workshops that we run. We're going out to Edwards Air Force Base here in February. Um, two cohorts or sometimes three cohorts a year, uh, about 40 students, and we have about 350 graduates. Uh, we invite our alumni graduates back to coach with us, uh, and that's really an, an incredible immersion, watching a team try and uh, make innovation happen. Um, and the education experience is unlike any PME you've ever been to, uh, but we, we drive real innovation programs, real innovation projects as a vehicle for the learning. So it's um, in 12 weeks, you try and get in front of a GO and pitch an idea. And that's both empowering and terrifying, um, but it's a it's a great cha challenging experience. Um, we have students, enlisted officers, civilians all across the DAF and Space Force, uh, you know, uh, Air Force and Space Force, um, and a sprinkling of Marine Corps and uh, other Navy. You know, we're we're purpling very 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 slowly. Um, so that's a that's an encouraging uh, aspect. We're kicking kicking off cohort twelve next week in Alexandria, Virginia. Um, so those are those applications are obviously closed, but um, the, the webpage projectmercury.us, uh, you can click a, a little the doobly-doo there and let us know that you're interested in the next cohort and uh, we'd be happy to see your names show up. Awesome, thank you, uh, Ethan. And also on the line, we have uh, Dr. Dan Ward. Um, if you wanna give us a brief intro and tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe highlight fire and punk that would i'd appreciate it sure thanks for the uh the intro and the promotion uh not a doctor but i'll, I'll answer to dr dan anytime <laughs> um yeah hey everybody uh my name is dan ward um retired air force i did about 20 years active duty as an engineer program manager uh, military technologist where i specialized in rapid innovation so kind of my sweet spot was leading or building and leading small teams with a short schedule, a tight budget, uh, and a deep commitment to simplicity uh, in an effort to quickly design, develop, and deliver advanced new military technologies. Uh, I'm with the MITRE Corporation now, um, where my focus area continues to be in rapid innovation and uh, defense acquisition, um, policy and practice both. Uh, and along the way, I wrote a couple of books. Um, my most recent book is called Punk. Uh, it takes a look at the intersection between punk rock and innovation. So the tagline I've been using is make some noise that makes a difference. Uh, and it's all about drawing the, the principles and practices of punk rock, like simplicity, like do it yourself, like being loud, like being angry, uh, wrapping all those together and saying, well, how does that help us uh, deliver more innovative solutions to hard problems? Awesome. I, I love it. And um, prior, prior to the call, I, I briefly had a conversation with Ethan about how how I think it's really unique to have both of you on the same call with your background, uh, prior, prior Air Force officer and kind of what you did through your tenure um, in terms of like finding 
sustainment or just those rapid innovation prototypes, right? Finding a home for and growing them into solutions. And then kind of the work that Ethan's been doing right now with developing kind of an innovation mindset and building that culture for airmen, right? There's there's all of that greatness, but oftentimes it gets it gets confused and mixed up. And then there's the fancy words with uh, that we hear from, from program offices or so forth that, hey, we need a requirement. What is the actual requirement behind this? Or or wh- who is going to find the sustainment for this? Like, is there is there an opportunity to to sustain this? And and how who's gonna advocate for it? Who's gonna palm for it? Um, when oftentimes innovation is iterative and it's, to, to your point, small in small teams, highly focused, low dollar amount, get it done, uh, move in, move out, repeat. Some sometimes, right? Not 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 all the times, but um, uh, and something I I I I often say time and time again, especially to the Ether Sprint com- competitors for our, our localized A four um, innovation competition, is is everyone will say we need money. Um, we need money and manpower to make our project happen. And I will argue that's probably one of the last things you need. Um, you have you have what you have, you have everything you need in front of you to get it started. Maybe a little bit of funding to get a prototype, but overall everything is in front of you. And uh, I, I wanna give a quick shout out to those Ether Sprints teams right now, because the majority of them that are, have gone up in top seven finalists have created something locally, right? Like they've they've created something and they have a prototype with very little money right now. And now they're looking for advocacy to move it forward. And the interesting thing too is, um, we kind of try to project what is the sustainment for those projects? What is the the end state? And I, some of them may or may, may not actually need that the sustainment dollars or may or may not need palming when they can be embedded in the supply chain with an NSN locally produced at a depot, right? That's that's a phenomenal step forward for additive manufacturing and in conjunction with the RSO. That's that's phenomenal for everyone. Um, but I I wanted to give that little brief spiel and turn it over to you guys and and hear what your thoughts are on on that in terms of thinking outside the box, being a little crazy, um, going a little Tony Hawk, and and just continuing continuing the 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 hard charge forward so yeah great summary and uh ethan it's terrific to see you always a pleasure to spend any time in your proximity i'm excited to get a little bit of time to um have this conversation together um so uh philip to, to piggyback on some of what you said um i think one of the fundamental questions that any innovator should be asking is how little do you need not how much do you need, but how little do you need? How little can we get by with? Uh, and with my first book, uh, Fire, uh, which came out, I think, in like 2015, uh, sorry, 2014, um, ah, coming up on 10 years. I can't believe that book's been out for 10 years. Um, the basic premise behind that book is that innovation does not need to cost so much, take so long, or be so complicated. That we get better results, more impactful, more innovative results when we have a small team with a short schedule and a tight budget. Uh, so speed, thrift, and simplicity are kind of the three touchstones. Um, and if we, uh, that I write about in, in FIRE, and if we focus our decisions uh, on speed, thrift, and simplicity, you know, at, at each decision point, we often choose between something that costs a little more and costs a little bit less. Pick the one that costs a little less, one that takes a little longer and one that takes a little bit less time. Pick the shorter one, uh, one that's a little more complicated and one that's a little simpler, the simpler one. We generally get better results when we focus on on speed, thrift, and simplicity. 
Um, and then uh, uh, you mentioned something too about kind of get in, get done, and get gone before anybody knows you were there. Uh, this is my my summary of that. Um, in Fire, I, I write about something we call moving target theory. Uh, so moving target theory was coined by a, a good friend of mine, uh, the late uh, Chris Chris Quaid, uh, and he said. Um, you know, the secret to his success as an innovator is he gets in, gets done and gets gone before the, the, the corporate antibodies can kind of kick in and notice like, hey, what is that guy doing? By the time they notice you, you've already delivered and it's really hard to argue with success. So let me take a breath and, and toss it over to Ethan. Yeah. Um, so so innovation under constraint, right? There's um, I, I love the eye chart that's like the success equation, like vision plus skills, plus incentives, plus resources, plus sponsorship equals change. And then like, you know, you remove one of those and it's frustration. You remove, you know, some vision and it's confusion. Um, I, you know, you remove resources and people say like ah, false starts or something and like, no, man, that's innovation, right? You pull away, you say like, I'm not going to give you anything you got to like look at the junkyard wars and figure right there's like you're surrounded by stuff you could create with but we are in such a consumer mindset right it's like amazon deliver you know whatever if the the joke like pretty soon they're just going to be feeding you <laughs> right like the two-hour delivery window um lack of resources means no actually i got to figure out what if this is such a pain point what else can i stop doing like what's a lower priority where I can, you know, beg, borrow and steal and say, actually, I probably don't need to be doing that. I need to be doing this. So let me turn the table or like, let me take ownership. And, you know, I hear I hear the words. We got to push the decisions down to the lowest level. But I don't see the like risk and reward flip for people. Um, one of the Mercuryisms we ask people on day you know, zero is what's a bigger problem in your organization? An error of omission you didn't do something or an error of commission. You tried something and it blew up in your face. And like everybody says, you know, there are no punishments for errors of omission. Zero. There are only punishments for errors of commission. And, you know, then you ask, OK, well, there's a culture problem. How do we go about fixing that? Um, and, and, you know, uh, Phil, you mentioned the, the Tony Hawk. So how do we turn a weakness into a strength? Right. Like. I, I can't do something. I have to invent my way out of the fact that no one allows me to do the thing that I want to do. So like, let me find an end around and people are going to look at you just like uh, Dan said, right? Get in, get out, get gone. They're going to look at you while you're doing your thing and go, you're not supposed to do that. That's cheating. You can't do that. Let me show you the rule where you, it says you can't. And actually, it doesn't say you can't like the most of the AFIs are like, these are the things you're authorized to do. And if you take that as the things, the only things you can do, of course, you're going to be handcuffed to your desk. You have to figure out like, I'm going to take commander's intent. I'm told we need to accelerate change or lose. I don't see that in my AFI. It doesn't say I can't do it, though. So like, let me take a little bit of risk. And can I get out, get gone? You know, can I produce some value before somebody notices? Right? Like before somebody notices that I wasn't really in charge, right? This is kind of the like walk past the security guard and just look like you belong. That's a little punk. It's a little right. You're like you're working with the right intention. So I think um, the idea of do it locally, I think to me means can I prove to my local group that they, they should trust me? you know, and let me run with scissors or I, I, you know, I, that's a funny 
metaphor, run with scissors, right? It's kind of stupid. Um, that's not quite what we mean, right? Because that's that's just that's just risk. I think there's no upside to running with scissors. So what we need is how do we balance that risk versus reward when we're doing it locally, right? You have to you have to, you can't just go big or go home. Like those people go home. You have to you have to do little experiments, just like Dan is saying. Do the faster thing. Do the cheaper thing. Run the test where you have control. The last thing I'll say, if you haven't heard this, the circle of concern, that's like, holy shit, we got to figure things out. Sorry if I can't swear. Somebody will bleep me. Um, all the things we worry about but don't have influence or control over. Then there's the stuff you have influence over but no control over. And then there's like actually the locus of control you have. I think innovation really lives in that circle of influence. Like you need to ask people for help because if you're if you could just do it, then that's not innovation. That's like a motivation problem. <laughs> if you can't quite do it, if you need one other person to come with you. I don't know anybody here seen the Derek Sivers, how to start a movement, right? One person in a field's a lone nut, but two people in a field, right? The first follower is actually like the, the most important innovator, like join in on the movement. And that's that's risky. It's not as risky as being the lone nut in the field, but it's almost as risky, but that's the person who really starts the movement. So when it when you do it locally, I would add, you don't have to invent anything, but join the people who are starting. Find those people or, you know, try and identify each other because probably you feel like you're alone and you're not alone. You just like, you need to look, <laughs> you need to find and exactly. test these places like this are, I think the water coolers where these innovators are coming together. Oh, for sure. Ethan, I love that. And, and it reminds me, uh, one of the things I talk about in, in the punk book is that you don't need permission. You do need partners. Uh, and seeking out the partners, the people who will do the work with you is oftentimes the step that a lot of lonely innovators forget to do or skip. Uh, and that successful innovators prioritize that. Uh, and so, you know, we've all heard the phrase, it's better to beg forgiveness than to ask permission. I've got a whole chapter in, in the punk book about that. I say, don't do either. Both of those options are hot trash, okay? Asking permission implies that you need permission. And when we put ourselves into this permission-seeking mode, um, we're, we're cutting ourselves off at the knees, right? Um, it turns out you don't need permission as much as you need partners. But just because we're not asking permission doesn't mean we should then beg for forgiveness. Because asking for forgiveness implies we've done something wrong. And I'm not suggesting anybody go do anything wrong. Okay, there's a third option that we should do instead. Uh, and this third option is declare your intent. Uh, so instead of asking permission or begging forgiveness, declare your intent. And that is just to say out loud, the thing I'm going to go do is, and it should be a small, simple, reversible experiment with a small team of partners. We're going to do it with you. I'm going to go learn something. I'm going to go try something. I'm going to go collect some validated data so that I can make an informed decision or an informed recommendation that's based on actual understanding of how the world works. Doing that out loud, doing that visibly um, has a couple benefits to you. First, it requires you to say it. And the process of going from a vague idea to a declared intent requires you to clarify it in your own head and to be like, what am I trying to do? What am I proposing? Uh, and back to the question of how little do I need and, and you know, what is, what's the thing I'm looking to do? Um, but it also gives you some accountability because then you, people can, Ethan can be like, hey, Dan, that thing you said you were going to go do, 
did you do it? How did it go? What did you learn? Do you need help? Could I do it with you? Right? So when you declare your intent, you also can find those partners. Again, you don't need permission. You do need partners. One of, those, one of the ways you find partners is by declaring your intent. And this is a very punk rock thing to do, to just say, I'm going to go do this thing. Who's going to do it with me? And one of my favorite lines in the book is, you don't have to add, and you can't stop me, pigs. But also, don't let the pigs stop you, right? You know, and by declaring your intent at, a, at an appropriate level of like the decisions I get to make, the things I was hired to do, the change I'm, I'm here to go drive, the initiative that my organization, my boss, my commander, whoever expects me to take, this is what that looks like. And not constantly going back, a mother may I, mother may I, and putting ourselves into that permission seeking mode. Because frankly, just between us, Putting ourselves in a permission-seeking mode is unprofessional behavior. And you can tell them I said that. <laughs> I, I want to hone in on a, a little anecdote, too. I, I won't highlight anybody's name or the project specifically. But to that point exactly, um, typically in the DOD or even the, the military, Air Force especially, we're, we're taught when somebody comes with us with a, to a problem or a solution, we're by nature taught to red team it. Like, tear it apart and prove it won't work like that's that's ingrained in us like at, at every level like uh, and um i it, interestingly one of the teams had has a, had a remarkable solution that that'll prove extraordinary value and they initially had met with the spo and they asked permission we want to do this thing and we we don't have the authority because you know we're not we, we don't have uh we don't know what the the risk might be well the risk is too high we we don't that was the response the risk is too high we can't approve it oh by the way we're working on something similar so you should scratch your idea and that like put off a light bulb in my head and i was like you know you're working on something similar why don't we collaborate like i we show you this design that the airman made you show us your design and we we see why yours hasn't hit the finish line yet either and maybe we can work together. Okay, yeah, maybe let's talk about it. It's ours is probably better, and you know, both sides had had very very um, strong assumptions of the other side, as per typical human behavior. Um, but it it worked out really well because the airman behind it behind this specific solution actually had experience with um, industry prior to enlisting, so it was very familiar with the problem set on the outside and offered suggestions to the engineers um, at the SPO that were not familiar with this very specific problem set. And then now they have they have a minimal viable product that's being tested. And it's it's like, and it didn't cost anybody a dime. Like, so it's with all just reusable parts. And Ethan, I see you right there nodding. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna pause there. Yeah, right, so, um... We have to find, you know, we're not quite approaching tax season, although as soon as it's January, my little my my otherwise finicky, you know, <laughs> groundhogish brain is like, you got to do your taxes because April 15th is coming. <laughs> um, there's a collaboration tax. Anytime you're like, I'm working on something and you're working on something like, is it going to be worth it to work together? Like, is it going to be worth it to form like have a society? yeah it's worth it so be proud of paying tax right like you don't have to like be pissed about that you're like look out the window at all of the great stuff that we get when we are willing to pay the collaboration tax when we're willing to come together 
and and give up pure ego and give up the ownership of this was mine. So your ideas are stupid. Like you, we have to be willing. And this is the mindset shift we look for in Mercury students. Um, the behaviors that drive you crazy at work are not from people that are idiots. And there's, you know, the disc book surrounded by idiots. If you know that, um, I can't think of the author's name. Um, but there are behaviors of your coworkers or of potential collaborators that you're like, no, man, that's the stupidest stuff I've ever heard. And if that's what you walk into a, you know, potential, you know, stakeholder meeting with, or it's constantly you're being red teamed. Instead, how do you say, holy crap, I never would have thought of that. I never would have looked there. You're looking over there and I don't know why that's valuable. I have to be curious about that. I have to say that you're seeing something that I can't see. Tell me more about that. Um, and so it's just that like, I, at some like very fundamental values level, it's like every human being is worthwhile and their perspective matters. And the number of Mercury students who go, I don't know why I'm here. I got imposter syndrome like crazy. And I'm just like, don't worry, you are valuable. Your perspective is valuable. You're gonna make a difference. It doesn't matter that you think you're the dumbest person in the room. I love being the dumbest person in the room, right? If you think you're the smartest person in the room, you're the problem. Like the hip, right? Whatever. Anyways, there's lots of little acronyms about who thinks they're most important. The humility it takes to collaborate is so important. And so, right, this like, um, I love the tension that I'm like not even intentionally drawing with Dan and Punk is like, yeah, you can be loud and bring the noise, but also like, be willing, you know, hey, no divas and be cool, man, like let it ride. Uh, so maybe my book will be surfer mentality and it'll, how can the surfers and the punk rockers like actually coexist? But I totally so agree, Phil, like we need people to be willing to collaborate. And when you get that pushback, they're like, that's stupid. We're already doing it. You got to be like, oh, you're all, you're doing it too. Cool. I'm just going to join you, right? I'm going to put my ego aside. Let me help you with your solution. And that's that first follower, like follow the lead. Don't don't feel like you need to lead everything. Absolutely. And to piggyback on that, you know, the Ramones, one of the first like big punk bands to kind of make it big as a punk band, they wanted to be the Beach Boys. And if you go back and you look at a lot of their songs, like, oh my gosh, that that's basically a Beach Boys song. You know, um, I'm drawing a blank on all of them at the moment, but but go back and take a look at some of their songs, like, oh my gosh, that's kind of a Beach Boys vibe, but a different version of it. And a big part of what the punk scene was trying to create was no more rock stars. We're trying to get rid of rock stars. We want to make sure everybody is able to contribute to this new musical scene called punk. And you don't have to be overproduced and super skilled and like this bigger than life personality. Like we're making space for everybody to participate and contribute. And the audience was as much of the creative process as the people on stage. Um, and prior to, you know, early 70s, when, you know, when kind of punk sort of exploded, or mid seventies, uh, a lot of people would have like uh, a band in college, but they'd play cover songs. It was all cover bands. And this idea of you could write your own song, you could do it yourself. That kind of like didn't compute. Um, and so all of a sudden punk comes in and be like, you could write your own song about whatever the hell you want to write about. Um, and you could be not the rock star that like dominates the room, but one of many people who collaborate and contribute together. So again, back to the idea of you don't need permission, you need partners, creating space for people who don't fit in otherwise. Uh, and I love what you said about, about creativity, uh, about curiosity. 
like if I was gonna like if I was gonna point to one superpower that was really necessary to be an innovator, I'm gonna put curiosity at the top of that list. Um, so the more we ask questions and like ask the next question and ask the question after that and keep that like that's if there's a formula for any of this that that's the formula. Yeah, I'll agree. And it's not uh, we're, innovation is not a bunch of eureka moments. It's more of a like, huh, that's funny. <laughs> right. Yes, and like, yes. am I willing to go in the direction of like, what just happened over there? Or is it right. like, that's weird. I am not punk. No, thank you. Like, I'm going to keep right. my IBM suit on. Yeah. And, you know, I think this punk is my fourth book and it's it's definitely different than my first three. I think for my first three, they were kind of contained and I was making a case, making some assertions. And here's the evidence behind my assertion to try and convince people of like, here's some things you can go do. There's a, there's a case for that type of approach for, for writing and, and instructions. With punk, each chapter points to a set of questions that are kind of open-ended questions. And these are not questions for the reader to answer. These are questions for the reader to live with and sort of continue to wrestle with. And I, I, I've kind of had this vague feeling in the back of my head that punk is, the, the punk, the book, is almost like incomplete. Like I didn't fully connect all the dots, but that was by design. I wasn't trying to connect all the dots. So I'm making some assertions. Here's some data, here's some stories, here's some songs and some lyrics. And these are the questions that it makes me think about. Now you, dear reader, also get to think about these questions. And so I say the most punk rock thing you can do with a question is ask it. Forget answering it, just, just ask it. That That's excellent. And I, I foresee a sequel the Beach Boys Part Two, written by Ethan Eagle, soon to come out. But I will um, read that book. I can't wait. Yep, I will. And and Punk is definitely definitely on my reading list. Uh, I, in order to fulfill Dan's four letter title, it'll just be Dude. <laughs> it's already it's already kicking off to a right. good start. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we do we are time capped here to keep it nice and nice and sweet. And it's kind of what what I mentioned to Ethan previously, too, is I think I foresee an opportunity to extend this conversation into maybe another conversation on another on another chat, maybe having a few innovators on the on the line as well, uh, maybe a little bit longer in a forum. But in closing, I, I was wondering if you guys had any words of advice for for innovators in the field that are that are trying to push their project across the finish line. And when I say across the finish line, I mean at, from their unit to a MAJCOM or from their unit to, to actually the attention of somebody that might be able to, to share the wealth of that project. Um, so assuming the fact that they had a, a minimal viable product. So uh, we'll close it there and for you guys to answer and then we'll, we'll kick it off. I appreciate you guys. Yeah, thanks. Phil. Uh, I would go with something from my, book prior to punk, the book called Lift, um, probably the most important point in, in, in Lift was don't take risks, do experiments. Uh, and there's a difference between taking a risk and doing an experiment. Uh, I think going, go, go take a risk is not really actionable advice because there's no like risk taking method. There's a risk analysis method, but not a risk taking method. There is an experimental method. Uh, and that is craft your experiment and collect some data and, you know, that you can kind of Google that. Um, but when we are facing a situation where the outcome is unknown, potentially uncontrollable, and we want to understand how the world works and what works in the world, we can frame that as go take a risk and just try something, or we can frame it as go do an experiment and learn something. 
So, Phil, to your question, when we describe what our proposal is, if we describe it as this is super risky, it's never been done before, we're going to break a lot of glass, we're going to take a lot of chances, all they're going to hear is danger, 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 and they're going to cut you off at the knees. But if we describe that exact same behavior, the same verbs, the same stuff we're doing as we're going to do a repeatable, reversible experiment to get some validated data so we'll make an informed decision going forward, like that is actually a low risk way to proceed. And they're not hearing danger, danger, danger. They're hearing learning, thought, discipline, control. I can get behind that. So I would say frame our, our, our work, frame our proposals as experimental approaches, not risk-oriented approaches. You're much more likely to kind of uh, learn something, survive it, uh, and get the support that you're looking for. Um, man, that was brilliant. And yes, yes, and um, be willing to let go of certainty for long enough to figure out what's really going on. If you have to be right 100% of the time, you aren't going to run the experiment. You aren't going to, you're not, you're never challenging yourself. So you have to step into that. Uh, I'll use a big fancy Greek word, small, difficult word, aporia. Aporia means like uncertainty. And right, you hear somebody say like, get comfortable being uncomfortable. I don't know so much about that, but, but confusion is the, is the place where you actually have to figure out do the sense making, talk to other people. You know, maybe this is after the experiment and it didn't go, that's funny. Okay, like now we're confused. Great, we're gonna making progress, right? Versus like, no, that's confusing. Ah, I keep it, you know, I don't wanna look at the stuff I can't make sense of, right? We have to go do the sense making. So be willing to let go of certainty long enough to figure out what's really going on. The most powerful question, right? Back to Dan's you know, ask the question, what's really going on here? And then like, what lies are we telling ourselves or each other, right? Like, what's really going on here? And if you can get people to open up and trust, right? That's that collaboration tax, like, hey, Phil, we just met, I'm not telling you the real deal. Like, no, like we just met or like, I'm never gonna see you again. So let me just, you know, not trauma dump, but like, let me tell you what's actually going on. Maybe that means I'm going to get the feedback that I really need, because, you know, if I'm presenting false data, you're going to tell me what to do based on a false impression. So, like, we just we have to be willing, again, step into that confusion and ask people like, hey, come look at this. Like, what did this what would this mean if, if it were you? Um, and just that's you have to work out, you know, the future is the, the future is plural. So, like, decide which one you want to go get after and make sense of the world and push it in that direction. Like that's um, back to what Dan said at the beginning, right? Don't ask for permission or for forgiveness. Like don't give up your power. You have so much power. And as soon as you are asking for forgiveness or permission, you're giving it all away, right? And that's like, fun. I love it. The empowerment idea is that somebody else could empower you. No, you can do it. And that, right, Dan, go run the experiment. Just Nike, do it. Sorry, you have to pay for that. Uh, bleep it out, right? Do it. Just go do it. It's okay. Two-way door, right? Don't jump off a building. That's not a go-do. Walk out the door. Go outside. <laughs> That's a reversible experiment. So do it. Be confused. Figure it out in a group. And you'll make progress, right? Keep doing that just as fast as possible. <laughs> exactly. Well, I appreciate you guys. That's uh, 
that's us on the dot uh, for time. And uh, thank you again for joining. Hopefully there's a part two. Um, I really enjoy hearing from both of you. Uh, reading as well, uh, Dan, I, I really, I, I reference fire all the time. Um, so yeah, I do appreciate it. Uh, thank you guys for joining again. I think we're good to close it here. Cheers. So much. This is a blast. <laughs>